Okay. Welcome to Progressive News Network here on Blog Talk Radio. My name is Janine Moloff, and I am the producer and host. Our host emeritus and our founder is the wonderful Rick Spivak. Call out to him and poet extraordinaire, I might add. Uh, we also have our companion show, which I'm aware has not run in a while, which is the Environmental Justice Report. In this new year of 2024, it will be running again. This is our first show of the new year. Now, I'm aware that today is January 7th. Uh, we tried desperately to run a New Year's Eve show and even a New Year's show, and Blog Talk just wasn't cooperating. It was having some sort of technological nervous breakdown. I have no idea. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Those of you listening to me, you're used to my coughing. Asthma so much fun. Anyway, so this is our first show of the year. Um, this, because yesterday was the tragic and really criminally tragic third anniversary of the January 6th insurrection, we're going to skip over the whole New Year's thing and we're going to just get straight to what's happening now because it, it's not hyperbole. The United States is in danger, terrible danger having its democracy broken by Donald Trump and his MAGA thugs, all right? Now, there's been a lot of mainstream journalists that have tried to understand the Donald, as he's called, and tried to understand the MAGA minion. It's not hard to understand, okay? Trump basically agitated effectively a lynch mob is what he's done. MAGA is a lynch mob, period. Pure and simple. There's nothing really that nuanced about it. And, um, you know, he's got political operatives in the Republican Party that are enabling this lynch mob. Now, now the lynch mob's starting to turn on some of them and they're getting nervous. But make no mistake about it, Trump and his people, this is mainstream GOP. To say that it isn't is absurd. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry about that. Sometimes when I get upset, the asthma kicks up worse. So this first show of 2024 will specifically focus on how the United States is rapidly entering what has been termed as, quote, fascism's legal phase. Okay? This is consistent with Project 2025. We've talked about it before. Under the direction of the Heritage Foundation and some 70 umbrella groups, uh, this fascistic evolution is particularly important as it sets the stage for future grievous injustices. And in our advert, which I barely have time to run, I'll name names and explain in detail. Um, it's hard to name names at this point in time. So we're going to talk mainly about fascism's legal phase. And we're turning to the work of, of a Yale professor named Jason Stanley. Because... If you want to understand how your friend or relative that has always been kind of considered more of a Republican moderate, whatever that means, is somehow saying, well, you know, I don't like Trump, I hate all the violence, but I just can't bring myself to vote for Biden. Okay, I'm going to break the rules. That's all bullshit. All right? These are people that are, in my opinion, moral cowards who are fine with somebody else doing their dirty work for them, and if it benefits them, oh, well. You know, it's kind of like the phenomena where, you know, 
you see somebody else being pounded on, you go, well, what can I do? Well, there's a lot you can do, actually, but we're going to talk about fascism's legal face. Oh, oh, oh. oh, got it. I'm also going to have the beginning of our deplorables list for 2024. We will have our first Jackass of the Week honoree, and then we will end the show with a very familiar little ditty from Randy Rainbow that he aptly calls the edition. Okay, so a little shout-out to Fiddler on the Roof. So that's the show. With And again, with no further ado, we're going to go straight into it. I really want to emphasize to everybody that even though there are some Republicans that are going against Trump, you know, people like Liz Cheney, people like um, <coughs> Kelly Conway's ex-husband, these are still people that were fine with Trump in the early days, and then they realized, well, this has gone too far. <coughs> and how did Trump get in office? He was enabled, all right? And part of it was because a lot of us, we don't get enough civics education, I don't, and, and we don't really understand how this happens. Anybody can turn fascist, all right? We all have that capacity to go to the dark side especially when we're ruled by fear. Make no mistake about it. It doesn't justify it, but we need to understand it. You can't fight a problem if you haven't identified it and you don't understand it. So, no further ado, let's get to it. So, first I'm going to give you some information, um, I'm sorry, about... Okay, let me back up a little bit. Yeah, about Jason Stanley, okay? So let's go to his bio, all right? So Jason Stanley, according to his bio from Yale University, is the Jacob Urowski Professor of Philosophy at Yale. Um, before he came to Yale in 2013, he was also the Distinguished Professor in the Department of Philosophy at Rutgers University. He's also been a professor at the University of Mich Michigan from 2000 to 2004, and Cornell University from 95 to 2000. Um, Jason, Dr. Stanley earned his PhD in 1995 at the Department of Linguistics and Philosophy at MIT, and he received his BA from the State University of New York at Stony Brook in 1990. Uh, in addition to his position at Yale, beginning this summer of 2024, he will be a permanent visiting professor at the Kiev School of Economics, his newest book is called The Politics of Language, and it's also co-authored with David Beaver, uh, and it's being published with, it's published with the Princeton University Press in 2023. His next book is titled, quite correctly, Erasing History, and that's going to be with One Signal Publishers, which will come out in September of 24. Uh, Dr. Stanley has published five um, five other books. His first book was titled Knowledge and Practical Interest, again published in 2005 by Oxford University Press. It was the winner of the 2007 American Philosophical Association Book Prize. His second book was titled Language and Context, also by the Oxford University Press, and it was in 2007. There's a collection of his papers in semantics published between 2000 and 2007, and that is regarding the topic of what's called linguistic communication and context. 
Um, his third book, titled Know How, was published in 11, also with the Oxford University Press. His fourth book, titled How Propaganda Works, was published by the Princeton University Press in 2015. Uh, it was the winner of the 2016 Prose Award for the subject of philosophy. And his fifth book, aptly titled How Fascism Works, The Politics of Us and Them, published by Penguin Random House in, uh, in 2018. So this guy is a heavy hitter. Make no mistake about it. So we're going to get into the, the legal phase of fascism in just a minute. Then our second story is actually going to get into um, the insurrection and our jackass of the week, actually. So it's going to be a little longer for that one. So let's go into the legal phase of fascism. Okay. Hmm. A little coffee here. So... This is a piece that Dr. Jason Stanley published in The Guardian, and this was published actually uh, in 2021, okay, in December of 2021, but it's still very, very apropos. Make no mistake about it. Um, the title, the headline is, America is now in fascism's legal phase. Underneath it says, quote, the history of racism in the U.S. is fertile ground for fascism. Attacks on the courts, education, the right to vote, and women's rights are further steps on the path to toppling democracy, end quote. Oh, oh excuse me. <clears throat> kind of bear with me with the coughing, cold weather. So, Dr. Stanley, I'll, I'll, at this point I'll call him Jason Stanley. I think he prefers that. Jason Stanley began with basically an address that Tony, the the author, Toni Morrison, gave in 1995 to Howard University. And the speech was entitled Racism and Fascism. And in this speech, Toni Morrison carefully detailed the, the, there are 10 step-by-step -step procedures, quote, to carry a society from first to last, you know, from, you know, basically racism to fascism. Now, According to the article, Stanley wrote, quote, Morrison's interest was not in fascist demagogues or fascist regimes. It was rather in, he's quoting Morrison now, quote, forces interested in fascist solutions to national problems, end quote. And Stanley goes on to explain how the, the procedures that Toni Morrison described in the speech back in 1995, methods to normalize these alleged solutions, okay? So Toni Morrison was giving this speech all the way back in 1995, linking racism to fascism, which is actually very accurate. We'll talk about that a little later. Uh, and then she delineates these 10 steps that, you know, basically normalize fascism, all right? And the 10 steps were to, quote, construct an, an internal enemy, isolate, demonize and criminalize it and sympathizers to its ideology and their allies and using the media provide the illusion of power and influence to one's supporters, end quote. And it's very true. In fact, that's consistent with 10 steps that author, I think it was Naomi Klein, came up with in terms of the 10 steps to fascism. I, I should have actually downloaded that piece too, but um, I think it was Naomi Klein. Anyway, don't quote me on that one. Um, still dealing with New Year's whatever. But 
Toni Morrison, like so many others, really saw that the history of racism in the U.S. ties directly to fascism, okay? And you don't have to look any further, according to Jason Stanley, you, you can look at a Newsweek headline that, you know, basically there was a headline uh, titled in Newsweek, Super Predators, Should We Cage the New Breed of Vicious Kids? Okay, and this was, again, back in the 90s. Now, we're back, we're here present time, and those, quote, forces interested in fascist solutions to national problems, end quote, they're closer to, than ever to winning this fight, okay? Now, Jason Stanley goes on to explain, and this is it in a nutshell, quote, the contemporary American fascist movement is led by oligarchical interests for whom the public good is an impediment, such as those in the hydrocarbon business, as well as social, political, and religious movements with roots in the Confederacy, end quote. And that's Jason Stanley, and he's, he's right on the money, okay? Um, you know, you don't have to look any further, but ask yourself the question, who benefits from all this hate? And someone does. You know, we don't have to look any further than the history of slavery and the beginning of racism in the beginning time of this history, of our United States history, you know, when slaves were first brought here, you had also white indentured servants who were like slaves, but they could actually earn their way out of their enslavement. Black slaves could not. They were slaves for the, you know, the entire term of their natural lives. And you could see at the beginning where these white indentured servants and black slaves had something in common, and so they started to kind of band together to protect each other. And the slave owners, the, the, the oligarchic class, they're very rich, in other words, got nervous. And so they came up with this scheme so that not only white indentured servants could buy their way out of their, you know, their servitude, if you will, their involuntary servitude, but they elevated these poor whites over blacks so that the whites had somebody to hate. In other words, they destroyed this what would have been a natural alliance to, you know, to bring about some economic and political justice by introducing racism as a thing. And they did, and it, it just bloomed from there, it blossomed. All right, the very rich, they call it oligarchical interest. And among people that are versed in political philosophy, I refuse to call political philosophy political science. There's no, there's no science in it, okay? It's political philosophy, it's my own personal little thing, all right? But for those who are not educated in political philosophy, when they hear the words oligarchy and um, totalitarianism, they just roll their eyes, all right? And the fact is, we can no longer just preach to the choir, as the saying has been overblown. We have to realize that we've got to communicate to people that maybe haven't been interested in politics. We need to communicate. So instead of saying oligarchical interests, I'm just going to say, look, the very rich, all right, they view the public good as an impediment. In other words, as something that gets in their way to making more and more money, period. And so fascism is a system where you pit one group of lower-income people or middle-income people against each other, against another group, and, you know, you create this pyramid, if you will, and this, this pyramid of fear and hate, and then the very rich get to sit on top and just kind of watch what goes on afterwards. You know, basically we're all being suckered. 
But that's what he's saying. And, you know, Jason Stanley goes on to say also, quote, as in all fascist movements, these forces have found a popular leader unconstrained by the rules of democracy, this time in the figure of Donald Trump, end quote. And it's very true. So then Jason Stanley in this article for The Guardian goes into his own family history, all right? So apparently he comes from a Jewish family. His father was raised in Berlin during the Nazi, you know, explosion, if you will. And his father knew that, quote, U.S. democracy was not exceptional in its capacity to resist the forces that shattered his family and devastated his youth, end quote. So Jason, Stan Jason Stanley has a direct family history. His dad was kind of trapped during the Nazi, you know, takeover. And the Nazis didn't throw Jews into death camps right away. It was a progression. That's what you need to understand. It was a progression. Um, and Stanley goes on to explain how his mother, um, you know, really understood that too. Um, his mother saw that in the U.S. criminal court, she was a court stenographer, she saw that the anti-black racism of the American legal system was a direct parallel to the anti-Semitism that she experienced in Poland as a youth, okay, which, you know, again, built into, you know, the rise of the Nazis and the final solution. And she was right. And then Stanley ex explains how his grandmother, Ilsa Stanley, wrote a memoir that was published in 1957. And this memoir was his grandmother's experiences in Berlin in the 1930s. Um, and this memoir was, quote, a memoir of the normalization years of German fascism well before World War and Genocide. I want to repeat that statement because it's really very important, okay? His grandmother, Jason Stanley's grandmother, a woman named Ilsa Stanley, published her memoir in 1957, and it was about her own personal experiences in Berlin in the 1930s. This is before the United States entered the war, okay? And her memoir, quote, is a memoir of the normalization years of German fascism well before World War and genocide. And this normalization is what's so very important. We're seeing it now. We're seeing it with the mainstream, a.k.a. corporate media, media normalizing Donald Trump, you know, where they report this both sides nonsense, you know, where they'll, they'll give equal credence to January 6th insurrectionists as, well, just tourists. There were only a few bad apples as opposed to what we all witnessed on television, that this was a violent attempt to overthrow the government. Make no mistake about it. I mean, tourists that are peaceably protesting don't erect functional gallows. They don't go hunting for humans. And this is part, the, the, the corporate media has normalized Donald Trump. They have normalized MAGA, and they've normalized these neo-Nazis in the MAGA movement, just like they normalized the Tea Party. And that is dangerous, because that gives these fascists, these neo-Nazis, that gives them a certain amount of legitimacy that they do not deserve. So Jason Stanley's grandmother recounts in her memoir experiences she had with Nazi officers who, you know, basically also, don't worry, okay? You know, we're going after those bad Jews, but we don't mean people like you. Sound familiar, anybody? It's no different than after 9-11, you know, when some 
some of them said, well, you know, we're not going to blame we're not going to blame the good Muslims. Well, you know, you shouldn't blame people because of their membership in a given group. You should judge people by their actual actions. But once again, this is part of that normalization. All right. A little again, my explanation is a little clumsy. I apologize, but you know, it is what it is. So. Philosophers, according to Jason Stanley, have always, you know, basically been looking at analyzing what they call fascist ideology and movements. And, you know, he mentions philosophers such like Hannah Arendt and Theodore Adorno. And Stanley himself has been writing for some time on, quote, the way politicians and movement leaders employ propaganda, centrally including fascist propaganda, to win elections and gain power. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? You honestly think 10 or 15 years from now, Trump would have gotten away with half of what he's done now. You know, now, now he's saying the silent part of the uh, out loud, calling his enemies vermin, taking straight from Hitler's um, dictionary, if you will. There's, there's no guesswork here. You know, he, you know, Trump has publicly stated he wants to. Uh, prosecute, jail, and destroy any critics. That's it. What more do you need? When people show you who they are, believe them. And propaganda is a big part of this. Now, those of you that may scream free speech, here's the thing. We do have free speech. We do have a free press. But it's not absolute. You are not supposed to be allowed to slander, libel, or defame people or groups. That's it. So when you have propagandists like Fox, like OAN, like uh, America First, whatever the latest thing is on the far right, that's propaganda. And when they knowingly push stories they know are false, yeah, they should face uh, some consequences, like revocation of their license. You know, they can say things, but they don't. Having a license to, to be on air is a privilege, not necessarily a right. You know, Fox should have lost their broadcasting license a long time ago, as well as the others. Once again, you can't, when it's propaganda, you know, when, when you're doing news, you have to cite sources. And, you know, again, I digress a little bit today. today tonight, today's a little more conversational, the report. Uh, I was on Facebook, and I had reposted an article I published in um, Nation of Change and then again in Eurasia Review. And it was on, albeit an unpopular subject, you know, basically it was on how not only growing anti-Semitism, but it was on how Jewish students, or students believed to be Jewish on major Ivy League campuses were being harassed, this time by leftists, you know, who are pro-Palestinian, whatever you want to call it. Now, I'm going to preface this with, Personally, I am for an extended ceasefire when it comes to between uh, Hamas and Israel. I am also for humanitarian aid getting through. I was against the carpet bombing that Netanyahu did. The Netanyahu government is not favored by most Israelis. That's something a lot of people on the left don't want to acknowledge. Some, I believe Haaretz published a piece where some 70% of the Israeli voting public is against them, but it's a parliamentary system, which we can't get into today, but it's a minority government, okay? 
So I'm for a ceasefire. I'm for humanitarian aid getting through. I'm for a two-state solution. That being said, however, this article I published was about the fact that when you can have peaceable protests, but when protesters, and I had video, you know, proving it, start surrounding people, pushing and shoving them, you know, and knocking them to the ground, that's not free protest. That is technically, according to the law, that is assault. If you physically hurt them, then that becomes battery. That's the law, and I got the information from the Legal Information Institute of the Cornell University School of Law, okay? Um, when they're shrieking en masse and surrounding identified Jewish students, not knowing what their political beliefs are even, just assuming, you know, death to all Jews, that creates a hostile environment that is not legal, all right? And today it's Jewish students, but after 9-11, it was Muslim students. This is about protecting people and balancing free speech rights, which I do believe in, with public safety as well, though. You know, your free speech rights do not give you the right to accuse people without proof of genocide, for instance. You know, and in, in, in the article I talked about specifically how the left, though they may mean well, a lot of times they are confusing guilt, the guilt by association fallacy which with actual complicity. They are not the same thing. Well, there's a long way of saying that basically on Facebook, it was reposted to, I think it was one of Bernie's supporters, whatever, and this supporter, you know, accused me of being for genocide and being a fascist and everything else. I'm like, whoa, slow it down. You didn't read, and I just told that person, you didn't read the article. Because if you actually read the article, you know, it, it was quite clear what I was about. And... You know, once again, this person was so hysterical, there was no talking to them. They wanted to believe the worst. That is a form of bigotry. You know, once again, it didn't matter that I clearly stated in the article, I supported an extended ceasefire. I support a two-state solution. I support humanitarian aid. I'm against the carpet bombing. None of that mattered. None. But the fact is, those universities created a hostile environment. How can you say it's okay to shriek death to all Jews and to actually physically surround Jewish students that you may or may not know where their political alliances are and physically accost them and terrorize them because that's the part, that's the, you know, you think you're in the right. That's, of course, the, the cause you support. But God forbid you should use the wrong pronoun for trans students. You can't, if you're going to have rules of conduct, then you have to have rules of conduct, and they have to be applied equally. And it's clear the IVs weren't. And it's one of those things where, yes, this was negligence on the part of the IVs. They created a hostile environment. If it hadn't been Jews in Israel, if it had been, say, you know, the accosting women on campus and threatening them with sexual violence and surrounding them, everybody would be shrieking, and rightfully they should be. When it crosses over into potential violence and mob rule, then it's wrong, period. And again, that got into the whole difference between the guilt by association fallacy and actual true complicity. All right, you know, I am a liberal Jew. It doesn't matter how much 
I say I'm for these same things and for a humanitarian solution, I'm guilty until I prove myself innocent, according to a lot of the people on the far left that aren't Jewish. Okay? You know, when they equate Zionism with racism, for instance, and this is not, I didn't mean to get on this tangent, but it happened. You know, the, that came from a UN resolution in 1975, and that resolution was rescinded in 1991. To most Americans, when they hear the term Zionism, this is the power of language, they just hear, they don't know what it is, and they hear Jewish. Not all Jews are Zionist. Okay? So when you equate Zionism with racism, you are saying everybody's guilty until they prove themselves innocent. You know, I left, I basically walked away from the political left years ago because of this anti-Semitism within its rights. Make no mistake about it. Because it didn't matter. I, I've had, you know, Bernie supporters, and I was a Bernie supporter, attack me horribly when I was trying to have a dialogue. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. So, you know, getting back to the original point, and I, I digress and I apologize, rhetoric is important. And when you use propaganda, and let's face it, in the Hamas-Israel war, and that's what's really between there's, this is, you're talking about a blood feud that's been going on for, what, 100 years? You are not going to solve a blood feud by just taking one side over the other because these things develop a, a, a basic momentum on their own. A blood feud is only going to be solved by stopping the violence on all sides and carefully rebuilding that's it with defensible borders. That, that's just the reality. So you can either choose to believe that you're right, or you can choose to save babies on all sides. It's really that simple. But anybody is capable of bigotry. Anybody's capable of fascist thought. And, you know, there tends to be this orthodoxy among people on the extreme far left that they are incapable of that, that somehow they're above it all. They're not. I'm willing to admit that. I wish they would. You know, once again, rhetoric becomes policy is what Jason Stanley is saying, and it's true. It, it just is. You know, um, to, you know, and so that's a big part of this. So, again, I digress. But, it's an important day, important point to digress on. I'm, I'm having a few disfluent episodes today, so kind of bear with me. Like Biden himself at times, I'm a stutterer. Once again, though, blaming members, all members of a certain group, for the actions of some, that's not complicity. That's guilt by association. It doesn't matter. And I'm not about to put my head in the hangman's noose to please some white, generically Christian, um, you know, progressive, if you will. You know? And I'm not going to be called racist when I don't, well, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be called racist when basically I've probably been in, I've probably been down there in Ferguson and Black Lives Matter protests more than a lot of these alleged progressives. You know, again, 
If I was a faux pas, I apologize, but we need to calm people down. You can't come up with relevance and just solutions, fair solutions, if everybody's in a violent hysteria. We need to tone it down so that we actually can come up with solutions. That is not me being complicit. That's just the reality of negotiation between warring parties. And let's face it, one of the reasons why the political left, again, digressing, one of the reasons why the political left is so bad at winning, at winning their battles, is because they don't know how to build alliances. You know, you have to pass their litmus test on the far left or they're not even going to talk to you. Well, guess what? In democracy, nobody, you know, you vote, nobody gets everything they want. If you aren't willing to build alliances, you're not going to win anything. That's it. Extremism on either side doesn't work very well. Screaming at people and calling them names isn't going to get them to come onto your side. You have to find common ground where you actually can begin a true dialogue. And this has not been happening. It just hasn't. You know, the fact that I want dialogue and I'm pointing these things out, then this other person shrieked at me, so you want genocide. I never said that. I do not want genocide. I don't want anybody's child to be hurt at all. You know, you can't go from zero to 60 without evidence. You can't go from zero to 60 and then expect you're going to come up with negotiations. It doesn't work that way. So this is my own personal bugaboo. A little emotional about it today. But getting back to Jason Stanley, there is a point where rhetoric does become policy, and he's right. Okay, And one of the ways they do this is they use propaganda. Okay? So, according to Jason Stanley, quote, fascist forces have found a popular leader unconstrained by the rules of democracy in the figure of Donald Trump, end quote. And it's true. Okay? Um, again, fascist rhetoric is really, it, it's, according to him, it, it, it's basically found fertile ground in the U.S., and it is connected to racism. Make no mistake about it. What a lot of these progressives don't understand is the reason why Hitler, for instance, went after the Jews wasn't necessarily because of religious bigotry. Now, there was religious bigotry in Europe, and some of the uh, persecution came straight from, yes, Christian churches. But on Hitler's part, it was actually considered race. We were called a mud race, in other words, mixed race. And he wanted the whitest of the white. So when these young people start shrieking, they need to actually learn the history. Okay. And what Hitler did in the early Nuremberg Laws, where basically they restricted the rights, it really stripped the rights of uh, basically the homosexual community, people with disabilities, um, and yes, Jews especially. That was based on the Jim Crow laws here in the United States. Hitler didn't come up with it on his own. So this, you know, again, this is connected. All right, and now we have, a, according to Jason Stanley, we have this police force that's militarized, you know, like it was in Europe. It is a problem. Okay, 
And Jason Stanley goes on to explain. He um, mentioned uh, a what he called a masterwork uh, book of black, on black reconstruction written by W.E.B. Du Bois in 1935. And Jason Stanley, I'm just going to read this straight from the article, quote, as W.E.B. Du Bois showed in his 1935 masterwork, Black Reconstruction, there is a long history of business elites backing racism and fascism out of self-interest to divide the working class and thereby destroy the labor movement, end quote. That's very true. But in order to actually really take hold, according to Dr. Stanley, you also really need to shape it into a cult and you need like a charismatic leader. And according to Jason Stanley, quote, the novel development is that a ruthless would-be autocrat has marshaled these fascist forces and shaped them into a cult with him as its leader. We are now well into the repercussions of this latter process where fascist lies, for example, the big lie that the 2020 election was stolen, have begun to restructure institutions, notably electoral infrastructure and law. As this process unfolds slowly and deliberately, I'm just reading straight from it, the media's normalization of these processes evokes Morrison's tenth and final step, quote, maintain at all costs silence. Okay. This is so exactly what Donald Trump is doing and his MAGA minions. Okay. There's a part here now where Stanley talks about constructing an enemy. Okay. And so he's, again, using the parallel of the Nazis to what's happening now. You know, and he said Hitler was, quote, a genocidal anti-Semite. Um, he goes on to say, again, I'm reading straight from the article, quote, though fascism involves disregard for human life, not all fascists are genocidal. Even Nazi Germany turned to genocide only relatively late in the regime's rule, and not all fascists are anti-Semitic. There were Italian Jewish fascists. Referring to the successful assimilation of Jews into all phases of, Weim of Weimar-era German life, my father warned me, quote, if they had chosen someone else, some of us would have been among the very best Nazis, end quote. Stanley goes on to say, quote, we American Jews feel firmly at home. Now where the fascist movement's internal enemies are leftists and movements for black racial equality, there certainly could be fascist American Jews. Okay, end quote. And so this Again, dovetails with what I'm saying. Anybody's capable of becoming a fascist, of being lulled into it. Anybody's capable of bigotry. And when you refuse to acknowledge that very human reality, then the chances of fascism take hold is even worse. And yes, the far right is much worse than the left. Okay, I'm not going to do a uh, I'm not going to do a, a false equivalence here, but there is a problem on the very far left where they have become so sanctimonious they think they are morally superior on all counts. That level of arrogance is dangerous. I'm just saying. So Dr. Stanley, again, I'm reading straight from this, went on to say, quote, Germany's National Socialist Party, which is the actual name for Nazis, did not take over a mainstream party. Quote, it started as a small, radical, far-right, anti-democratic party which faced different pressures as it strove to achieve greater electoral success. goes on to say, quote, despite its radical start, the Nazi party dramatically increased its popularity over many years in part 
by strategically masking its explicit anti-Semitic agenda to attract moderate voters who could convince themselves that the racism at the core of Nazi ideology was something the party had outgrown. It represented itself as the antidote to communism, using a history of political violence in the Weimar Republic, including street clashes between communists and the far right to warn of a threat of violent communist revolution. End quote. Okay, you see what's happening here. These moderates sound a little familiar, you know, kind of Republican moderates. These are the people that say, I hate Trump, but I can't bring myself to vote for Joe Biden. Okay, then what are you really saying? We need to confront these people because what they're really saying is, well, I don't have to trouble my little conscience. I can just go about my business. Okay? Again, I'm reading straight from this because it's so well written. I don't think I can improve on it. Um, Dr. Stanley went on to say, quote, it, namely the Nazis, quote, attracted support from business elites by promising to smash labor unions. The Nazis portrayed socialists, Marxists, liberals, labor unions, the cultural world, and the media as representatives of or sympathizers with this revolution, end quote. Just like now. Make no mistake about it. What are these MAGA morons shrieking? Pedophile, groomer, socialist, communist, liberal, you know, liberal artists, and goes on and on and on. It's the same thing. Okay? Dr. Stanley cites a 1935 speech by Nazi propaganda minister Joseph Goebbels, who described Bolshevism carrying, quote, on a campaign directed by the Jews with the international underworld against culture as such, end quote. Okay, I have, this is so stupid, it's beyond belief. How can Jews, for instance, or any group be for communism if at the same time while they, are, while they control all the banks? It doesn't work that way, all right? It just doesn't. Now, Goebbels went on to say, quote, by contrast, quote, national socialism sees in all these things in private property and personal values and a nation and race and the principles of idealism, these forces which carry on every human civilization and fundamentally determine its worth, end quote. Okay, so according to Dr. Stanley, the Nazis, they really, they were kind of math, they were kind of experts recognizing that if they used the language of family, of morality, of faith, and homeland, they could take that language and use it to justify any type of brutality because you're against this enemy that doesn't deserve decent treatment. Okay, so really, according to, again, Stanley, quote, the central message of Nazi politics was to demonize a set of constructed enemies, <clears throat> in this instance, an unholy alliance of communists and Jews, and ultimately to justify their criminalization, end quote. This is, again, very familiar. We see coming from the Republican Party, again, at the state level, a whole flurry of anti-protest bills that criminalize peaceable protests. You see where basically uh, progressive environmentalists who are protesting, uh, for instance, uh, gas pipelines, 
that are just sitting down. They're not, it's not like January 6th. They're just sitting down and blocking the way. And because it's called infrastructure, they're facing federal felony charges of, you know, basically, you know, attacking this when they, it was peaceful, non, uh, what do they call it, nonviolent resistance. <clears throat> this is what's happening here. Okay. Um, and then, you know, Stanley goes on to explain, quote, contrary to popular belief, the Nazi government of the 1930s was not genocidal, nor were its notorious concentration camps packed with Jewish prisoners, at least until the November pogrom of 1938. The main targets of the regime's concentration camps were initially communists and socialists. Okay? End quote. So it's, it was a, progress, a slow progression is what it was. And then Stanley goes on to say, quote, the Nazi regime urged vigilante violence against its other targets, such as Jews, separating themselves from this violence by obscuring the roles of agents of the state. Now, how did they do that? They turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to violent militias whose role, according to Dr. Stanley, was ambiguous between state and non-state actors. You know, just like January 6th, right? You know, basically, January 6th was vigilante violence. These people are saying Trump said to go get him, but he didn't actually make it official. This is exactly from the Nazi playbook. There's no, there's no difference here. And then that way, if you've got violent militias that were, you know, through coded language said, you know, stand, stand down, was it, uh, stand down and whatever, Oh, what was that phrase? Doggone it. Um, in other words, coded language saying, get ready. You know, and then he's going to say, come to D.C., we'll be wild, defend your nation. But he didn't make it official. This is exactly what the Nazis did also. So the Nazis could do the Pontius Pilate thing and say, clean my hands of it. I didn't do it. I can't control the mob. Okay. Dr. Stanley also pointed out that even the notorious SS began not as an independent arm of the government. They began as, as violent Nazi supporters. Okay? So, and then Dr. Stanley explains um, the nature of tyranny. He quotes another Yale historian named Timothy Snyder on tyranny, quote, for violence to transform not just the atmosphere but also the system, the emotions of rallies and the ideology of exclusion have to be incorporated into the training of armed guards, end quote. So you've got this training of police here in the United States as warriors, which should never be. That's, that's just not their role. But you've got this thin blue line nonsense. Dr. Stanley explains this in plain terms. Mm. And here they are, quote, for a far-right party to become viable in a democracy, it must present a face it can defend as moderate and cultivate an ambiguous relationship to the extreme views and statements of its most explicit members. It must maintain a pretense of the rule of law characteristically by, get this, projecting its own violations of it onto its opponents, end quote. Okay? And that's exactly what Trump's doing right now, claiming the Democrats are the enemy of democracy, not him. 
you know. You know, when Trump stands up there and China goes, you know, these people are vermin. They're poisoning the blood of our nation, you know, targeting them, targeting minorities for, you know, basically genocidal murder. But then he goes, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. He knows what he's doing. He's dumb, but he's not that dumb. Okay. Dr. Stanley goes on to say, quote, in the case of the takeover of the mainstream right-wing party by a far-right anti-democratic movement, the pretense must be stronger, end quote. And that's what's happening. You know, when Trump was coming up, Mitch McConnell and these others thought, we can control him. Well, now they can't. All right? You know, shortly after January 6th, uh, Representative Thomas Massey condemned the rioters, condemned Donald Trump. But just recently, like when the past week, the same person, Mr. Massey, claimed that, well, you know, he was outraged that the insurrectionists of January 6th in a proclamation uh, that was, was honoring the police officers, he objected to the insurrectionists being called, you know, insurrectionists. This is, again, the alleged moderates pretending that, you know, they weren't part of it all. Now, you do have a few Republicans that are coming out, you know, like Liz Cheney and a few others that are saying, no, this is wrong. Okay? But that's not enough. That's the problem. And I keep emphasizing the Republicans because, again, they're the ones that are waging war on democracy. And unfortunately, more mainstream Democrats are just sitting there with their hands in their laps doing nothing or next to nothing. You know, they didn't notice any of this or have a problem with it until January 6th, and they were attacked as well. Just my opinion. So Dr. Um, Stanley goes on to say, quote, the movement must contend with members of that party who are faithful to procedural elements of democracy, such as the principle of one, one voter, one vote, or that the loser of a fair election give up power in the United States, and a figure such as, as like I said before, Adam Kinzinger and, and Elizabeth Cheney. But Stanley goes on to say, quote, a fascist social and political party faces pressure both to mask its connection to and to cultivate violent racist supporters as well as its inherently anti-democratic agenda, end quote. And it's true. Jason Stanley also talks about January 6th, okay? And, um, you know, he says, quote, in the face of the attack on the U.S. Capitol on the 6th of January, even the most resolute skeptic must admit that Republican politicians have been at least attempting to cultivate a mass of violent vigilantes to support their causes, end quote, okay? And so basically, you know, Stanley points out the fact that when, when Trump's party, when the Republicans deny that they're trying to create a fascist movement, that's what he calls deliberate deception, which we know. <coughs> now, how does all this start? Well, again, when people hear about Nazi Germany, they don't think about racism. They really don't. They think, well, they hated Jews. Well, Jews are regarded as people of color. We were not, again, we were called a mud race. 
and then also Slavic peoples um, that were a little darker, Roma people, which people traditionally call the gypsies, they were considered not white enough either. So there's this part of this, of this article titled Black Rebellion, White Backlash. And it's, it, you know, it's the truth. Um, you know, Trump rose after, you know, basically black protests, Black Lives Matter, um, the murder of George Floyd and subsequent protests, which were legitimate. Okay? They were. I was down there in Ferguson. All right. After, you know, basically uh, Michael Brown was murdered. I was down there every day. Unfortunately, you've got a mainstream press that basically you only showed certain things. There was good coverage by some of the larger newspapers, but, and, and again, in print, but on TV, what did people see? They saw bur- buildings burning. And it implied, wrongfully so, that members of Black Lives Matter were responsible for burning down buildings. That wasn't the case, but that was the that that was what was implied. And there are still a lot of suburban whites, including shamefully members of my own Jewish community, that really believe that. You know that when I try to talk to them about it and say, "Look, I was down there. I saw what was going on. I was threatened myself by police." They don't want to hear that. They say, "But they burned down buildings." Again, this is coverage that is dishonest. You know, it's the old idea, if it bleeds, it leads. There's no context. So when you cover violent offenses and there's no context, that's irresponsible reporting. It just is. And that's a big part of it. And so basically, because of this um, propagandistic reporting, especially by television, Okay, where they they show the buildings burning, and again, no context, no investigation as to who actually did it. This gives fuel, according to Dr. Stanley, to fascist misrepresentation, and it does. Okay, I was down there in Ferguson, and during the day, and I'm a little person. During the day, I never felt threatened by anybody that was protesting. In fact, a lot of the people there were women, elderly people, skinny teenagers, um, clergy, you know. And here in St. Louis, in a small town like Ferguson, if you're out and about at 1 or 2 in the morning, you're up to no good anyway because there's nothing to do. Everything's closed. So, And they never did discover who, did, who burned the buildings down. But because of the misrepresentation by the corporate media showing these films implying that Black Lives Matter was responsible when they weren't, with no context, it fueled, again, what Dr. Stanley calls fascist misrepresentation, which is a nice way of saying it fueled the lies of neo-Nazis that want to believe the worst of our brothers and sisters of color and their allies. That's it. Okay, and again, this the United States, according to Dr. Stanley, I agree, there's this long history of misrepresentation of our brothers and sisters of color, as well as misrepresentation of religious minorities. Okay, and this gives rise to white vigilante groups. Again, 
you know, it's, you don't need an academic to tell you that if you, as we put it in the Midwest, whoop people up, make them fearful, make them over-emotional and angry, you have a lynch mob. Violence will happen. Okay? And you will never get to the truth because, again, people are reacting as opposed to investigating and thinking. Okay? And, and so, again, these episodes of protest and rebellion have been used by politicians. Okay? Barry Goldwater is a good example. All right? You've got John Ehrlichman that's listed by Dr. Stanley. Now, Ehrlichman, if you, those of you that are too young to know, he was one of Richard Nixon's, President Nixon's top advisors. And he was basically brutally honest when he explained that Nixon's campaign and administration, quote, had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people, end quote. And that basically Ehrlichman admitted they invented the drug war, the war on drugs, to target both of these groups. And here's a direct quote by Ehrlichman himself. Excuse me. Quote, you understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did, end quote. That is what's still happening, okay? This is, again, an example of bad reporting, you know, where if it bleeds, it leads, with no actual evidence verified, you know, for, you know, for truthfulness and no context. You know, you can verify evidence, but, again, if you don't include context, then, again, you can still mislead people. Okay, so you know this is what we're, this is what he's talking about here. Um, Dr. Stanley also quoted somebody named Rachel Kleinfield. Kleinfield wrote an October 21st article that um, documented the rise of not only political violence but the legitimization of political violence. And the article in the article it said, quote. The bedrock idea uniting right-wing communities who condone violence is that white Christian men in the United States are under cultural and demographic threat and require defending, and that it is the Republican Party and Donald Trump in particular who will safeguard their way of life, end quote. That's true. I mean, basically, these are white Christians for the most part, uh, white Christian conservatives that for too long have had you know, unfair advantage, while everyone else was disadvantaged. And so when you equalize, they feel like, you know, they've lost something, but they've lost something they weren't entitled to in the first place. So now Dr. Stanley talks about in this, this section called How to Topple a Democracy. Again, I'm just going to read straight from this because he does a better job than I do. Okay, quote, we are now in fascism's legal phase. According to the International Center for Not-for-Profit Law, 45 states have considered 230 bills criminalizing protests with the threat of violent leftist and black rebellion being used to justify them. That this is happening at the same time that multiple electoral bills enabling a Republican state legislature majority 
to overturn their state's elections have been enacted suggests that the true aim of bills criminalizing protests is to have a response in place affected protests against the stealing of a future election. Okay? Um, and it goes on to say, quote, as a reminder of fascism's historical connection to big business, some of these laws criminalize protests near gas and oil lines, end quote. And this is really important, okay? It's ironic that the Republicans keep claiming that people that are Democrats or on the left are they're, we're the ones that stole the election. When it's been Republican legislatures in multiple state legislative bodies across the United States that have actually pushed laws that, you know, allow the state legislature to overturn the vote of the people. So it's really the Republicans that are stealing the vote, not, not us. But, you know, again, you reverse the blame. They're projecting their own sins onto the rest of us. Now, he goes on to explain, quote, the Nazis used Judeo-Bolshevism as their constructed enemy. The fascist movement in the Republican Party has turned to critical race theory instead. Fascism feeds off a narrative of supposed national humiliation by internal enemies, defending a fictional glorious and virtuous national path and presenting its enemies as deviously maligning the nation to its children is a classic fascist strategy to stoke fury and resentment. Using the boogeyman of critical race theory, 29 states have introduced bills to restrict teaching about racism and sexism in schools, and 13 states have enacted such bans, end quote. And it's true, okay? It is. Um, the fact that critical, as a former educator, the fact that critical race theory has never been taught K through 12. You know, it is taught in law school. So unless you have some extremely, you know, gifted kindergartners, I don't think so. doesn't matter. What they're calling critical race theory is any truthful depiction or history of racism in the United States, slavery in the United States, sexism in the United States, religious bigotry in the United States, anything that basically tells the truth about our history, warts and all. Because in their narrative, white Christian traditionalists have to always be the good guys. You know, that you were dealing with a group of people who are very childish. They cannot admit fault. They just can't. And, you know, as such, they're the ones that are kind of dangerous. So Dr. Stanley goes on to say, quote, and I love this, this line, it's perfect. The key to democracy is an informed electorate, end quote. And it's true. It just is. It's harder for these MAGA morons and Donald Trump to push their particular brand of BS if you're informed of your rights, you know the way things are supposed to be. Okay? Uh, he goes on to say, quote, an electorate that knows about persisting racial injustice in the United States along all its dimensions, from the racial wealth gap to the effects of over-policing and over-incarceration, will be unsurprised by mass political rebellion in the face of persistent refusal to face up to these problems. An electorate an electorate ignorant of these facts will react not with understanding, but with uncomprehending fear and horror at black political unrest, end quote. And it's true, okay? There are, I, I know so many people in my neighborhood that are terrified that these hordes of black people are going to come to slit their throats. It's never happened, but they've got it in their heads. Once again, 
the Republicans have stoked this hysteria. And it's the same kind of hysteria that fuels lynch mobs. That's what it is. And that's what fascism requires. It just does. This is about lynch mobs. There's nothing more uh, sophisticated about it. That's all it is. And it's based on lies, vile, evil lies. You know, I've been on Twitter. Well, now it's called X. You know, and because I don't like Trump, I'm called a pedophile. I'm called a groomer. Really? Okay. It's one of those things where those of us that are being attacked by the Republicans, especially if you're not a public figure, we need to start suing these assholes. I'm just going to say it. Somebody somebody keeps accusing you of pedophilia or being a groomer. Yeah, we need to sue them. We really do. Because just trying to reason with them won't work. These are childish people, and the only thing they understand are consequences that they don't like. That's it. You can't assume that they're going to respond in in an adult way because they're not. Um, So let me move here. Okay, so the United States, you know, we have another quote here by James Whitman. He had a book in 20, that he published in 2017 titled Hitler's American Model, The United States and the Making of Nazi Race Law, the Jim Crow Era in the United States Influenced Nazi Race Law. Um, and it's still going on, okay? People think, well, that racism's done with. Even uh, Supreme Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, when he basically decimated the Voting Rights Act, he, he basically in his explanation said, well, you know, that was a long time ago, racism, he, because he didn't see such racism that doesn't exist anymore, which isn't true. You know, according to this article in 2021, legislators in 19 states passed laws, and this is as documented by the Brennan Center for Justice, making access to the ballot more difficult, some with specific and clearly intentional disparate impact on minority communities, as in Texas. And it's true, end quote. Um, you know, Jason Stanley talks about how when we obscure the facts about the Nazi era and Jim Crow and all these injustices, and we obscure them in our educational system, you know, you can mask the reemergence of legislation that borrows from its strategies. <clears throat> in other words, the GOP is pushing legislation all over the country, banning the teaching of critical race theory, even though it's never been taught. And what they're really saying is they're banning the honest discussion of slavery, the honest discussion of racism, the honest discussion of misogyny, okay, so that when they come up with legislation that maybe indirectly makes it harder for minority voters to vote, you can't scream, well, that's racism, even though it is. Um, You know, once again, There's Chapter 9. There was a book by Carter G. Woodson published in 1933 entitled The Miseducation of the Negro. Uh, And he called it political education neglected. Um, Woodson described how history was taught to, quote, enslave the Negro's mind by whitewashing the brutality of slavery and the actual roots and causes of racial disparities, end quote. Okay. And we're dealing with this all over again. You know, I, I tutor part-time, and I have students that they don't know anything about the Holocaust. 
They don't know anything about Jim Crow. They think Ronald Reagan was a good guy. I mean, they don't know anything. It's been whitewashed down to nothing. And this is dangerous. You know, again, now they're targeting feminism. This goes on and on and on. But what you need to understand is that this is a systemic and planned response to destroy democracy. And one of the ways, one of the most effective ways you topple a democracy is you take over the courts. Okay. Um, again, Jason Stanley points out how the Roberts courts, you know, hollowed out the Voting Rights Act, which they did. And again, that's according to CNN. They unleashed unlimited corporate money into elections and then also allowing clearly partisan gerrymanders of elections such as Rucho v. Common Cause. I think it's Common Cause. I'm sorry, folks. Yes. Okay. Rucho v. Common Cause. Wanted to make sure. Again, this is all about destroying democracy. And now we have the nonsense. You know, it is clear the evidence is there from Trump's own people that he was in on the planning on January 6th. He gave the order. He is guilty of insurrection. But according to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, it doesn't say you have to be convicted. It says if you, you know, if you're found guilty of, if you're, if you commit insurrection against the United States, you are barred from any office. And their feeble argument is, well, the president isn't an office holder. Well, if it's the office of the president, he's an office holder. But now the Supreme Court's going to look at it. This is absurd. Asinine, an argument as arguing what the meaning of the word is, is, as Bill Clinton used to like to joke about. This is ridiculous. And they're arguing over the fact that even though Trump committed multiple crimes while he was in office, it's not criminal because he has presidential immunity and the president can do whatever they want. Nonsense. But this is what they're going for, to set up a presidential dictatorship. Now, I hope you learned something from this. I know it's kind of a little disjointed. There was a lot going on. We will be talking more about this in the future, especially the legal takeover of the courts. All right? Especially how states are tossing out the popular vote of the people, things like that. It's going, to, it's going to be coming. So let me, I'm going to take a little break here, and then I'm going to be back. Okay, and we're back. I had to get a little water here. Okay, so now we are going to talk first about our deplorables list. Okay? So first we're going to go to a little... Um, no, wait, my desk the wrong one. I'm sorry, folks. Uh, I'm having a little issue here. Where did this thing go? Good Lord. 
No, that's not it. Sorry, folks. I was looking for this. Oh, we lost it. Good Lord. All right. We're going to go to first our um, deplorables list here. Okay. And our deplorable of the week is obviously presidential candidate Nikki Haley. She wins over Trump. And why? Well, you know, Trump and his lynch mob couldn't have gained as much power if it weren't for cowardly enablers like Nikki, Mitch McConnell, and many others. Her ambition means more to her than any sense of country or duty. In fact, it's easy to say that Nikki Haley really uh, symbolizes the epitome of corporate efficiency, but also her hypocrisy. Here she is, a woman of color, the child of immigrants, and she's complicit with the Nazism of Trump. And so this goes back, and I know people have talked about it for quite a bit lately. We were going to talk about it on New Year's Eve, but again, Blog Talk wasn't up and running. <clears throat> so... Nikki Haley was asked by somebody, you know, about, oh, Lord, I just lost, I'm sorry, folks, about slavery as a cause of the Civil War. Okay, we all know about that now, and she dodged the question. You know, she kept citing the old thing of, um, you know, slavery was about freedom, and it was about you know, right to do what you think you should. Let me find this thing here. Uh, yeah, here's a piece from the AP Associated Press, and the headline is, Nikki Haley doesn't mention slavery when asked what caused the Civil War, and she later walks that back, okay? So here she was in Columbia, South Carolina. She was asked, um, no, I'm sorry, not Columbia. Ah, I made a mistake. Nikki Haley was at a New Hampshire town hall, this was a couple of weeks ago, about the reason for the Civil War, and she never once mentioned slavery. Okay? Uh, instead, she talked about the role of government, that it involved, quote, the freedoms of what people could and couldn't do. Okay, well, here's the problem. Um, and then, you know, the person who asked the question, you know, really kind of went after her, and Haley's response was, quote, in the year 2023, it's astonishing to me that you would ask that question. With, oh, I'm sorry, the questioner asked, in the year 2023, it's astonishing to me that you question, that you answer that question without mentioning the word slavery. And Haley responded, what do you want me to say about slavery? Like she's getting testy. Now, this is a woman who used to be the UN ambassador. Now, true, she was the governor of South Carolina. Uh, and then she backpedaled some hours later calling, you know, where she basically said on a morning uh, radio interview, quote, of course the Civil War was about slavery. She called it a stain on America. Um, and then she went on to say that, quote, freedom matters and individual rights and liberties matter for all people. Okay, here's the problem with that. That's basically when kids say Black Lives Matter, she's saying all lives matter. You know, the whole idea behind Black Lives Matter, you could put the word two after it. Because in this country, historically, black lives have not mattered. All right? That's it. But again, she couldn't bring herself to say, yes, that the Civil War, slavery was a major cause, if not the major cause. Keep in mind, slavery was big business. You know, maybe not for, you know, whites that had one or two slaves, but for big plantation owners, we're talking it generated wealth that would have been like, uh, the 1860 version of an Elon Musk or a Bill Gates. 
This is big money. And so this really, you know, Haley's refusal, you know, to acknowledge that her, you know, her need to mollycoddle, you know, whites because they don't want to face the truth. For me, that's deplorable. Okay? So her response is truly deplorable. And, and again, she was wrong on the facts because, like I said a minute ago, slavery was big business and capitalism thrived in the emerging years of the U.S. because of the profits driven by slavery. That's it. She knows that. She doesn't care. So in some ways, I would say she's more deplorable than some of the violent insurrectionists on January 6th because, again, she's letting them do the dirty work for her. And here she's a woman of color. That is outrageous. Expect more from her, but no. All she cares about, she did the what I call the grad school sidestep, where you learn in grad school to kind of keep your mouth shut and just go along so you can get what you want. You know, really, graduate school, especially certain graduate schools like law school, whatever, pretty deplorable. Because, again, you just suck it up because you have so much at stake. It's not a bastion of free thought at all. But that, again, Nikki Haley is our deplorable for this week. She just is. Okay. So now, we'll take another break here and get ready for our jackass of the week. First one of or the sound effects. Give me a second here. Welcome to PNN's Jackass of the Week Awards. The first one of 2024. Our Jackass of the Week. Drum roll, please. Representative Thomas Nasty, Republican. All righty. So let's talk about Thomas Nasty. And he really deserves it. Oh, does he ever. He is vile. Um, you know, keep in mind, Thomas Massey uh, has, I think, degrees in engineering from MIT. Well, he's well-educated, but it's just he has no moral center. Um, so, you know, three years after the January 6th insurrection, Trump acolytes are pushing the nonsense that these violent vigilantes gathered in D.C. for the Donald, they weren't insurrectionists. No, they were just tourists gathering to peaceably protest. Now, in spite of the wealth of filmed evidence pre-artificial intelligence, okay, they can't claim that either, Republican politicians like Representative Thomas Massey of Kentucky, he's angry that insurrectionists are being called insurrectionists, okay? He was quoted because he was one of those 21 no votes, all right? Um, So basically, let me go to this. There was a vote. Recently, I'm going to get to this. So this is in Roth's story, and this was published 
uh, not too long ago, actually, uh, by Carl Gibson. Okay, this was reposted in, in Raw Story. It was actually first published in Alternet, and it was written by Carl Gibson. The headline is, GOP Congressman Commemorates January 6th by Defending Vote Against Honoring U.S. Capitol Police. I thought Republicans like police officers. So, anyway, Congress, um, let's see now, when was, maybe this was from 2021. It doesn't list the date. That's really kind of confusing here. So, maybe this is a little bit old. I don't, I don't think so. I'm trying to find the date on this. Okay. Let me go here. Okay, here's his Twitter account. That'll tell me. Sorry, folks. No, this was 2024. Uh, on his Twitter account, Thomas Massey at Rep. Thomas Massey, he put, read the bill. Did you know all but 21 U.S. representatives voted for a bill written by Nancy Pelosi that called the January 6th protesters insurrectionists? I voted no and took a lot of heat for it. Here's a link to the bill that became law in 2021. So it was originally in 2021. Okay. And he defended his no vote. Okay. Um, you know, he really disagreed with characterizing the rioters of January 6th as insurrectionists. And he was quoted saying, quote, they were protesting. And I don't approve of the way they protested, but it wasn't an insurrection. Really? I don't know what he was watching. But that's what he actually claimed, okay? And, and it's absolutely asking. Now, imagine the nerve of Democrats to call insurrectionists what they are. But in 2021, Massey directly blamed Trump for the deadly insurrections. And again, this is a piece from USA Today. And it was dated January 9th of 2021. And it was written by Tom Vandenberg, Sarah L. L. Oh, boy, Elbeshbishi, Emma Austin, Tom Vandenberg, and Kevin Johnson. The headline is, this is from 2021, Kentucky Republican Representative Thomas Massey says Trump is at fault for deadly riot at Capitol. And he's quoted saying, quote, I think Trump is at fault here. I watched almost all of his speech. I felt like it was inevitable. And then Massey went on to say, quote, people did mislead the folks that came here, and Trump was among them. He insinuated that states wanted their electors thrown out, which was not true. I kept a spreadsheet of every document every state produced, and in no case did a majority of any legislature ever even put their name on the letter, end quote. Okay? So keep in mind, Massey was publicly against the efforts to contest the 2020 election results, and that is as documented by the um, Courier-Journal. Yes. Okay? By some of the same reporters here. So, again, here Thomas Massey basically said, oh, we've got a caller, they're going to have to wait, um, that, once again, it was Trump's fault, but then he objects to the insurrectionists being called insurrectionists. Okay? That's just really absolutely ridiculous. So, Massey, in my opinion, is merely an example of the craven cowardice needed for fascism to take hold. So, you know, again, for that and so much more, I'm going to go back here again. Oops, I'm losing my place here. I'm sorry, folks. 
my computer's acting up here, for that and so much more, Representative Thomas Massey wins our Jackass of the Week Award. The first Jackass of the Week Award of 2024. Bray on, Mr. Massey, bray on. Okay, so we have a caller. All right, let's see, how do I do this? I think I did, I hope I did right. Okay, give it a minute. Hello, you're on the air. Hi, uh, yeah. uh, yes, my name is Matthew E. O'Neill. I'm an author at Amazon.com. I have seven mm-hmm. books in various formats in 13 different countries. I'm also the mm-hmm. former top-rated writer for Everopedia Incorporated, a cryptocurrency mm-hmm. and internet encyclopedia set company. I wrote the George mm-hmm. Floyd and Derek Chauvin Everopedia pages, which have over 35,000 mm-hmm. views. Of course, I'm sure you're aware of the story where Derek Chauvin violated George Floyd's civil rights, murdered yes. George Floyd, and then Derek yes. Chauvin went to prison for the rest of his life, I believe, or for a very long time. Recently, yes. Derek Chauvin was assaulted by an ex-Mexican mafia member and stabbed in prison. He survived mm-hmm. and was hurt. And I'd like mm-hmm. to say that you talk about social injustices. I think people are taking a look at some of the procedures of major police departments and making sure that right. police officers follow those procedures to ensure sure. that the citizens have get you know fair treatment. Uh, you know what? I, I totally agree with you. We've in the past we've done some shows on that actually. Um today's show was really about how fascism can creep in uh on a more, you know, I guess academic level. But no, we've done several shows on that. Um I can honestly say when because I live 15 minutes from Ferguson. And so when, you know, when that hit, I was down there practically every day. And I did write a series on it that ran, well, now it's no longer ran in UK Progressive and Nation of Change and some others, op-ed news. So I, I totally agree with you. I mean, this is, you know, it's disgraceful. Um, so thank you for calling in. I mean, you're, you're always welcome because, you know, usually when I get calls, I get kind of the... <laughs> lunatic fringe, but um, no, you're you're totally right. And, um, you know, we can certainly do some more shows on that. We have in the yes, past. Yeah, and... Go ahead. Yes, my name, is Matt, my name is Matthew E. O'Neill. I have an MBA from the Denver, Colorado-based Regis University. I also cover the O.J. Simpson case in an audio book. It's called The, the Murder Case of O.J. Simpson with Matthew mm-hmm. E. O'Neill and Chris Todd. In this audio book, it's in 13 different countries on Amazon, I document O.J. Simpson's alleged, alleged accomplice on the night that he mm-hmm. killed Ron Goldman and Nicole Brown Simpson. Of course, in, if I did it, the book that O.J. Simpson wrote, he mentioned the name Charlie. In my mm-hmm. audio book, which is for free on Amazon.com, I give the individual's last name and what really mm-hmm. happened that night 30 years ago that O.J. Mm-hmm. was with somebody else and mm-hmm. O.J. killed those two people. I know a lot of people were happy O.J. Simpson got off the murders. Some people were, were angry about it. I think right. O.J. explained that he blacked out that day. And, and the, oh, if I did it, that's what he said. He said he blacked out with anger or something happened mm-hmm. to him where he blacked out. He didn't re- mm-hmm. remember doing it. I think O.J. was an individual that truly loved his wife. Because of that mm-hmm. and the distorted view of things, he kind of went crazy that day. Um, well, I, book- I actually, I'll, I'll just, I'll disagree with you on that. I think that 
what, whether he loved her or not, he was clearly an abuser. And I saw that as a tale of misogyny. But we only have limited time here. I thank you for calling in, and um, have a good evening. You too. Thank you. Mm-hmm. How do I do this? Okay. Okay. All righty. So that was interesting. Um, definitely we'll look into that again. Um, people keep in mind this is a live broadcast. All right. Yes, I have my documentation in front of me, but it's still a live broadcast, warts and all. Um, and, you know, it's a skeleton crew, <laughs> namely me. So I, I do the best I can. Uh, if you want to find where I write, uh, my publishing home these days, I've, I have in the past published extensively on Huffington Post, among others, and you can just Google my name and find that, those old articles. But right now my publishing home is Nation of Change and Eurasia Review, Eurasia Review and then occasionally Op-Ed News. All righty. So with that, we're going to move on because we're getting close to the end of the show here. And we end, whoops, having the issues. We end with a little bit of humor here. We have, and then we'll have a few serious uh, remarks. This is Randy Rainbow and Sedition, which seems really apropos three years after the insurrection. Give me a minute. All of us here today do not want to see our election victory stolen by a bold and radical Democrat, which is what they're doing, and stolen by the fake news media. A Twizzler with no scrupes. Sounds like a horrible idea for a musical, no? Or at least a horrible idea for a president. Well, in just a couple weeks, he won't be anymore. And whether you're happy about it or not, there are rules that must be followed. Like my personal rule of not repeating a song I just parodied a few months ago, but you people won't stop f***ing DMing me to request it, so here we are. More importantly, you ask, how does a desperate, lamed-up president and his bootlicking minions with no hope or evidence try to overturn an election they've clearly lost multiple times? I can tell you in one way. We will not take it anymore. Edition.
Another caller here. I guess we have a few minutes. All right. Hopefully I'm clicking the right thing because I am not the most computer literate person. All right. Here goes nothing. Hello. You're on the air. Hello? Greetings in the name of the Father. Hello. Can you hear me? Just. Greetings. Go ahead. Greetings. Uh, what can I do for you? How you doing? I've been enjoying the radio. Thank, Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. What would you like to talk about? We have a few minutes left. Hey, man. Well, I just want to wish blessings and good tidings on everybody on the sound of my voice. It's the beginning of a new year. We made it 24. I feel like it's 24 hours a day, so we need to get busy. And on that note, that's it. I'll end my plan. Okay. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, and have a lovely year. Bye-bye. Yes, ma'am. Okay, I didn't mean to cut them off that fast. Sorry. <laughs> Again, not the most computer literate person. All right, so just kind of bear with me. So this was our first show of the new year, 2024. And, you know, ending on a more serious note, I would love to say that we need to find a way to peacefully solve our problems. Okay. But the fact is, there is a fascist movement that is being pushed by the Republicans. There, And again, the legal aspects of fascism, we talked about it once before. We're going to talk more about, again, Project 2025, because between the Federalist Society and especially the Heritage Foundation and all these 70 groups that go under their umbrella, their Project 2025 would strip us of a democracy by creating a presidential dictatorship. This is really dangerous. And, you know, as much fun as it is to gang up on Trump, and it is, the fact is, besides Trump, we need to start holding accountable the politicians, the corporations, the billionaire class, and especially the lawyers that push these bogus theories, knowing full well that they are violating their their oath as an officer of the court. Okay? They know that. While Mr. Trump has a right to a vigorous defense, just like anybody else, his lawyers and lawyers for the, the Heritage Foundation do not have a right to push theories that would end democracy. And when I hear people say, well, it's majority rule, nah. 
majority rule doesn't mean that any of us through a mob vote have a right, have a right to strip rights from certain people. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. So we will be talking about that more in the future. This isn't going to stop. I implore those of you that are, you know, thinking about they just don't want to vote, they're not thrilled with Biden, are they going to vote third party, think twice. The election last time was very close. This time it'll probably be close again. And the fact is your vote does count. And if in the primaries you can vote your conscience, when it comes to the main election, you need to vote. Because if you throw away your vote on a third-party candidate that is not going to win, no matter what, those numbers aren't there, or you just refuse to show up to vote, you're pretty much handing it to Donald Trump and his Nazis. And it is not, it is not hyperbole to call Trump and his MAGA minions Nazis, because that's precisely what they are. Make no mistake about it. Everybody needs to show up and vote. They just do. You know, the other day I was watching the Young Turks and Anna Kasparian, who's the journalist I normally respect, she was uh, having a dialogue, I think, with, um, it wasn't with Jenk, it was with, um, I forget who. Anyway, and she was saying how, eh, she's not sure if she's even going to vote. You know, it's not that important. It doesn't matter who wins. Well, Anna Kasparian, even though she's a progressive, she's white, she's blondish, she doesn't look ethnic. So as long as she, you know, keeps her mouth shut, all that discrimination doesn't affect her. But if nothing else, for our brothers and sisters of color, you need to vote. You really do. Refusing to vote or voting for a third-party candidate is going to put Trump back in office, God forbid. And Trump has no intention of ever leaving office. How often do you ever think you're going to see ultra-conservative Republicans like, J, like Judge J, Federal Judge J. Michael Ludding calling out Trump as the enemy. Or if you go to the Bulwark, that show. How often does that happen? It doesn't normally. Wake up, snap out of it, grow a thick skin, and make sure you vote. And while, again, I'm not thrilled with Joe Biden either. That's not the point. My intent is to vote against Trump no matter what. It's that simple. Democracy is on the ballot. These vile neo-Nazis want to enslave all of us under a presidential dictatorship, and don't you forget it. We have to all stick together. Because January 6th, three years ago, was just a prelude. Okay, It was a practice run. And what's in Project 2025 is very, very calculated. You know, I think it was the late Dr. Martin Luther King that pointed out that everything, every vile thing that Adolf Hitler did was technically legal. Think about that before you start thinking about not voting. Think about that and make sure you vote against Donald Trump and against the Republicans. With that, I say good night and God bless us because we're going to need it, whatever you believe in.